Thank you, choir. We've already had a wonderful few moments of worship, have we not? We are departing from our study in Nehemiah this morning to concentrate on our communion service. And our reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word if you are able. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's always remember that the power is in God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. With terms like social media, we may think that we are a social world and that we love being together with one another. But in many ways, our society is more isolated than it's ever been. And people are more lonely, though surrounded by people that they've ever been. And it's not on you at the same time, everybody be on their own individual electronic devices on social media. How ironic. The ancient world had customs that groups of people would get together and they would have meals together. And they really were together. The early church had such meals as love feast. Followers of Christ would come together. They would bring what they had. They would pool their resources. They would sit down to a common meal. And it was a way of producing and nurturing true Christian fellowship. We are blessed here at Amelia Babbage's once a month at our church. And you know what? So many of you stay. And I'm convinced it's not about the food. You want to be with one another. And then each Wednesday evening, we also have meals together. Before we have our different ministries and services. We may love food, but we love each other more. You could go anywhere to eat, 
But we choose to be together. That is a blessing. Things had gone sadly wrong in the church of Corinth. You see, just like in most every other society, those who have hardly anything, and when this church would come together, those who had plenty stayed among themselves with others who had plenty, and they ate plenty and would even get drunk. While those who had nothing would come hoping for probably the only decent meal that they would have in a while. And then have nothing. They had lost their love of sharing. They forgot what agape love is. Paul rebukes them for it. You see, the early church was supposed to be a place in the ancient world where social barriers were broken down. There were free men and slaves. There were Greeks and those who couldn't speak Greek. There were Jews and Gentiles. There were Roman citizens of privilege. And there were those without lawful protection. And there were the cultured and there were the ignorant. But at the church, they were all supposed to come and see each other as children of God. Equal. We're all equally sinners. And Christ followers are equally forgiven by God's grace. Each person was valued because they saw each other through the eyes of Christ. Selfless or selfish distinctions were forgotten. Someone has said, a church where social and class distinctions exist, there is no true church. You see, the real church is a body of men and women and children who are united to each other because they are united to Christ. Which transcends social distinctions. We know that no church is perfect, but we certainly are to strive for such things. What we call the Lord's Supper in the Greek was the main meal of the day. Yes, they may have had three meals a day, but uh, there was a main meal. And at the main meal, they not only fed themselves when they were hungry, they lingered To be with each other. Many of you need keys to the church. Because you love to linger. Because you love one another. And sometimes. I may want to go home before you. (laughs) A church is in trouble. When the people want to leave. Before the last amen. Something is wrong internally in the fellowship. It's not about schedules. It's about where do you want to be. The agape meal 
in the ancient church was more like our Wednesday night meals and our potluck dinners than the formal communion that we're going to experience in a few moments. They would take time toward the end of the meal and remember why they were there. It wasn't about the food. And it's not just about being together. It's why we are together. It's because of what Christ did on the cross. Paying for our sins. So that we all can become the children of God. All those who would come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They understood Jesus had been their substitutionary sacrifice. Not just for themselves, but for you, the others. And we want to be together to share in that joy. Do, they, do we really have a church if the love of sharing at the point of sacrifice is lost? When the very definition of agape is sacrificial giving at our expense for the benefit of someone else. That is the cross. The scripture we read a few moments ago are sobering words and they're important for us to remember. After all, this letter to Corinthians was earlier than the Gospels. It's really the first account that we have of the words of Christ at the Lord's Supper. And we must understand, and I know that there are those who disagree, but reason tells us that his term, this is my body, must not be taken literally. After all, when he said it, he was still in the body. And the bread was still the bread. And he was referring to the bread, this is my body, why he's still in the body. That just doesn't make logical, reasonable, theological sense. The broken bread stands for the body of Christ. And when we actually partake of the bread, that is a physical way of saying, I want the presence of Christ with me and in me. It's an expression of what is already true and what we want to be more true. This cup, Jesus said, is the covenant in my, new, in my blood, the new covenant in my blood. There was an old covenant between God and his people, and that old covenant was based on the law and repeated animal sacrifices. And there was a condition on that relationship, and that is we have to keep the law. That's problematic, isn't it? Because none of us can keep the law. With Jesus, the new relationship is open to every Christ follower. It is not dependent upon the law. It's not dependent upon animal sacrifices. It is dependent upon the free grace of God's love offered to us because of Christ's sacrifice. Under the old covenant, 
people feared God because they knew they couldn't keep the law. But under the new covenant, we come to God as children to a father. And how did this happen? The cup stands for the very lifeblood of Christ, without which this new relationship would be impossible. Now, this passage that we read a few moments ago is followed by some direction, starting with verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and the drink the cup. For everyone who eats and drinks without uh, discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, you will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give direction when I come. See, an unworthiness consists of the fact that we come to the Lord's table not discerning the Lord's body. These are sober words. Now, this phrase, not discerning the Lord's body, can be interpreted two different ways, and I believe it applies in both. First of all, those who eat and drink unworthily do not recognize what these Elements, the bread and the wine, mean. That is, they have no idea what the death of Christ means. It's just a story. They have no sense of their own sinfulness. No understanding of how Jesus' death paid for the sins of all those who are in Christ. They don't understand that He is the Lamb which was slain. They don't understand that He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That would be eating and drinking, not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, there has to be an understanding of why we do what we do. That's the vertical understanding. But then there's also a horizontal application to this. The body of Christ can also be referred to as the church. He does so in the next chapter, in chapter 12. So this may mean that if we eat and drink in an unworthy manner, we may not be realizing that as believers, we represent Christ's body on this earth, one another as members and honoring one another. Anyone who has hatred, bitterness, or contempt against his brother or sister in Christ and comes to the table, eats and drinks unworthily. Do you remember what John says in his first epistle? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brothers. Paul goes on and talk about misfortunes as well. We need to remember what he said. These misfortunes of physical illness, they are discipline, not condemnation. They're to keep us from being condemned with the world. It's to help us understand the importance of a clear conscience, of clean relationships, of loving vertically and loving horizontally. We must be clear about one thing, however. In forbidding one to eat and drink, he is not talking about sinners who know they're sinners. If the table were only for perfect people, none of us could approach the table. The way is never closed for a sinner who has a humble, contrite, and repentant heart. So what is the last of these sobering words? When we come to the table, we come with the same heart with which we came to Christ for salvation. A broken heart over our sin. A heart of repentance. Faith toward Christ is our only hope. We acknowledge that if it were not for the grace of Christ, we would still be separated from Christ and from God. So, that is the reason that communion is for Christ followers. Because we take time to remember why we are here. And at what cost have we been playing church? Have we just been going through the rituals? Or do we know Christ personally? A real relationship. Now is the time to make sure that you have that relationship with Christ. Before we take communion. During the next few moments, we're going to be singing when I survey the wondrous cross. We need to take time to examine our own hearts. And if we find ourselves wanting to take time to confess our sins. And if it occurs to us that we're out of fellowship with one of our brothers or sisters, that we covenant with God right now to go restore that relationship. Let us pray. Father, would you keep our minds sober?
and our spirits quiet as we take your table. Give us understanding of the sufferings of our Savior that makes this meal possible. Sink it deeply within our minds and cause our hearts and our minds to remember the great price He paid for all of us who had no hope without Him. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing when I survey the wondrous cross. But if this is a time of reflection and you're not able to both sing and to pray, pray first. Prepare your heart as we stand and prepare for communion. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride see from his head his hands his feet sorrow and love flow mean go down did ever such seated. Just another word of encouragement. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ and He is your Savior and your Lord and you are a Christ follower, you are welcome to this table. If you're still struggling with faith, I would say wrestle right now before the elements get to you. We've actually had people to tell us afterwards that they came to know Christ during these moments of confession because they see the value of what Christ has done and they want to take their first real communion as a believer.
So I encourage you to do that. So would you be in prayer, men, as we come forward? bow your heads with me, please. Lord Jesus, we take this in remembrance, Father, of you and the price that you paid for our sins. In Christ's name, amen.
As we read earlier, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body. Do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. Let's pray. Father, your word is very clear. We have heard it, we have studied it, and we practice it. It's amazing that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But you have said how that is, and so may it be, that Christ shed his blood for us, a gift to us that we can barely comprehend, but for which we are profoundly grateful.
Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Gospels tell us that they sang a hymn and departed. Let's stand and let us sing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind. 